Hi, this is Dominic Kearns with the Rising as One podcast. Before we begin, I'd love to thank several sponsors. I'd like to thank the Beautiful Game Network first. You can find all their stuff at bgn.fm. They're responsible for getting many great USL podcasts out, so please give them a look. Also go to firebirdsoccer.net. This is the new website for our former Firebird Rising coverage, so you can find all sorts of great coverage for Phoenix Rising FC and other soccer-related news in the state of Arizona, all at firebirdsoccer.net. And lastly, we would like to thank Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is a uh, sponsor for, you know, MLS teams, USL teams, all sorts of other stuff. So go to Roughneck Scarves and find a scarf today. And now let's get on to the show. Hello and welcome to this week's special episode of the Rising as One podcast, the podcast of the USL Western Conference champions. This is Dominic Kearns here with Aaron Blau, Kyle Mackey, and Kevin Gates joining us from the Phoenix Rising Fan Show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be home. Glad I got a little extra sleep because it was a exciting night and not much sleep after. It was a great yeah. night for Phoenix Rising uh, soccer. It was a great night to be a fan. I was uh, unfortunately not uh, there, but I know that Kevin represented us really well, so that's excellent. Yeah, yeah, same here. I I, I had to enjoy the match from here in the Valley, but, um, I mean, what a match it was. Just unreal. I'm still, you know, just kind of realizing that, that this has actually happened in Phoenix Rising or the West, USL Western Conference Champions of 2018. And we'll, we'll get into the nitty-gritty of this match in a few minutes, but I think we need to step back just for a second, maybe five minutes, maybe a second, who really knows, and just think about this journey over the last two seasons and how far this team has come to where we can say that we are Western Conference champions and one match away from giving Didier Drogba the ultimate retirement party. Isn't I mean, it's just a wild journey, right? It's an insanely wild journey, and what we have to do is we just have to look at our ownership and the driving force that they've been and the fantastic job that they've done in bringing the right people in, you know, bringing Sam Doerr in from the marketing side, Burke bringing in Drogba, uh, and then, you know, of course, um, just bringing in the right players at the right time. They are so focused and so cooperative with each other. I mean, I can honestly say, well, I don't know definitively, but it just seems like you can't get it any better than what Phoenix Rising has right now, and the proof is in the pudding. Uh, the team is doing what it's doing, and I just think you can't, you you can't deny that there has to be some really huge chemistry at all levels, player ownership, marketing, in order to make this team what it is right now. Yeah, it started from the ownership group. You're absolutely right, Kevin. And it's it's been an amazingly quick ride when you look at it from the progress that this team's made from the rebrand of Phoenix Rising to the Western Conference champions. I mean, we've done this in two seasons with three coaches. Um, and I mean, it's been it's been something that I think all of us, you know, we dreamt about. But up until these past few weeks, the 
reality of it was, yeah, you know, that'd be awesome, but there's, you know, useless season for sure. But right now, the football they're playing is just—it's just amazing. And I mean, they've earned this for sure. They've—they've they've put together such a great group, and I think right now, if MLS has any doubts about Phoenix, they're insane because this soccer is thriving right now in the Valley. Yeah, really what it comes down to is is the purposeful building of an organization. Um, you know, often you're trying to piece together some sort of a team, especially on, on the USL or uh, on a second division side. Um, here, starting with uh, uh, Frank Yallop a, co- a couple of years ago, starting to build a roster that really made sense. Uh, Patrice Carteron coming in, adding a, a, a couple African stars uh, that really have given us so much uh, over this past season here and as well as some just a just a cornucopia of talent I mean can you if you were looking at the 2017 season and you're saying okay there's going to be one team that's going to have the star of his team that's built that was Billy Forbes from San Antonio and then and that same team is also going to going to pick up Kevon Freider the star of his team in Colorado Springs uh, and then they're going to add speedsters uh, young speedsters like Devin Vega, who was so dedicated to to his uh, um, uh, his youth career out in San Antonio, and top that all off with experienced talent in guys like Drogba, um, and then bringing in uh, a an experienced defensive minded coach like Peter Ramage uh, to assist you know Coach Chance. This is just a purposeful building of an organization, a purposeful building of the supporter culture, and uh, it's just everything that uh, this ownership group is. They are King Midas of the soccer world because everything that they've done and everything they've touched has turned to gold. You know, I, I have to throw in there, Aaron, because you're spot on. i got to throw in there Kevon Lambert. Um, he is the orchestrator, and I talked to Coach Schantz about Kevon last night. Um, you know, he is uh, such, for lack of a better term, the mastermind with what's going on in that field. And it was so obvious last night how much he guides and forms what that team is doing. Uh, he was a little bit off with his execution on passes last night, but he got it together. But just the leadership that he has and the way that he's grown this year, definitely a huge part, a huge find for Phoenix Rising. And I just hope we can keep him around. Oh, for sure. Um I mean, of course, assisting on that first goal. Um, I mean, let's before we jump right into this match, uh, Kevin, you were there last night. You were there for the entire 90 minutes, the celebration after. Um, just give us a sense of what the traveling support was like, maybe the number of people that made it out there, and just what the atmosphere was like. Sure. Um, when you asked me that, I've was thinking about how I'd structure that. So <clears throat> it started off on the buses, right? And um, the buses uh, really took a long time to get us there. Almost, it was seven and a half hours. We were almost late to the match because the match started at seven. We arrived at 6.15. Um, and it was kind of funny because what it did is it gave us the opportunity to have a good time on the buses, but also just build this huge, like, nervous bundle of energy that, you know, we just which really just exploded during the game. Uh, so it really turned out to be a, a good thing. Um, 
we went in there knowing that, you know, we've had a lot of back and forth with Orange County this week and we wanted to be loud and proud and Red Fury and Banditos, you know, did that for the whole game. Uh, I was with them for the first half and then I ended up in the media box for the second half. And when I was with them, you could just feel the energy and the team could too. And Orange County could too. There was no way that they could ignore how loud they were. I mean, the Orange County supporters, I don't think I heard them once. Uh, Banditos and Red Fury the whole, whole time. So I think we had somewhere, I think realistically we had about 500 people in sections 13, 12, and maybe dribbling into 11 a little bit. Um, the uh, the main focus, of course, is where the supporter groups are because they're just relentless and nonstop. But even the other fans in the other sections would join in on the cheering. And when I was in the media box across the way, you could just see that there was all this activity and energy going on uh, for the entire game. So it was really cool because the Orange County fans, uh, they just kind of sat there watching the game like they were watching a movie in the movie theater, you know, and and they got riled up towards the end of the game because they felt like they were getting ripped off. But that's a whole different topic. Uh, but for most of the game, they just sat there. And so it was funny because this energy started on the buses. And then instead of it being a complete release during the game, it just built up even more. So at the end of the game, there was no stopping them completely invading the pitch. I mean, they had security lined up in front. There had to be eight, nine guys. Yeah, that did not stop them. They just rolled out on the field. And then for the next half hour, it was jumping up and down, yelling, cheering. Um, I'm not sure how much detail you want me to go into this, Dom, but you know they presented the USL Trophy Cup. Every player raised the cup, did his own little thing with the cup, you know, when he got it. Um, the owners did too. The the uh, Phoenix Rising fans were right there in the middle of all of it. And the team players, of course, were acknowledging them. And, and best of all, they, there was just a lot of saltiness going on with the OC people. They hated the fact that we were so happy. <laughs> <laughs> and there was there were some scuffles. There were some um, things that that happened a little bit, or almost happened, I should say. And and you know what? I'm going to say this: uh, the OC uh, uh, the OC fans uh, really poorly played on their side. You know what? Don't be a bad loser. Don't be a sore sport. Don't be an immature little kid. You know they're making threats of violence and coming at a couple of our supporters. And it's like you know what? Just lose with grace. Walk off the pitch and let us have our moment. Um, but that aside, uh, the energy from the team, I mean, went on for a, a full half hour on the pitch and then the team, after they'd done their thing with the USL cup, we went in, uh, we took pictures of them as a team together and it was like herding cats because these guys, you would not have thought they'd just played 90 minutes. I mean, they did not want to stop moving. Uh, they were cheering. So we finally get all that done. There are a couple of individual pictures with the trophy inside, and finally they're going to scuttle off to the locker room, and then we're going to have some interviews. And we waited around for about 15 minutes to do our first interview with uh, Coach Schantz, and you could just hear the locker room the entire time. And then throughout all the interviews, it was just pandemonium in there, just absolutely crazy. So bottom line is there was a huge amount of energy that was spent over probably a three and a half hour period of time. And it really did take its toll because when we all got back on the buses, I don't, I don't think there was a single person awake a half hour into the ride home. <laughs> wow. Thank you for taking us um, step by step there um, and painting that picture for those of us that were 
at her own homes at the Thirsty Lion party, which I heard from Jeff went was incredible too. Absolute packed house over there. All the screens showing it, people going nuts. Um, but with all this being said, let's get into the game itself. Yeah, so <clears throat> so I did miss the first couple minutes. So uh, luckily I was... Uh, I, I was helping out with my kids' uh, AYSO All-Star tryouts, um, so I missed the first couple minutes, but very happily turned to the ESPN Plus app. Again, not a sponsor, but probably the best five bucks you'd ever spend, uh, five bucks a month you'd ever spend. And uh, so the second that was over, threw it up on my phone and saw that we were ahead one to nothing. Uh, looks like on a, on a nifty little takeaway by Drogba that made it over to Kevon Lambert. Kevon Lambert pokes it up to Chris Cortez, uh, who places it in the back of the net, as he does traditionally. Uh, tell me, tell me, guys, tell me a little bit about the buildup that happened before that, because that was only in the second minute, um, and, and I only saw the highlight on it. So what happened there? You know, I, I can't because I was on my way to the seats. I was taking pictures uh, of the of the fans and the players from the uh, behind the uh, goal. Um, so I was walking up and I was actually uh, in the walk area above the seats and barely saw the goal itself. Uh, so <laughs> I've looked at the replays, but I haven't looked at the whole game yet. So I, I missed out. I don't know. Well... You know, it felt like that was a bit of a stab in the heart and just a, a harboringer of things to come. Uh, Kevin and I spoke with the uh, guys at the Orange and uh, Orange and Black podcast, and they're very, very big on uh, Andre Rawls, uh, the goalkeeper for Orange County. Um, and Rawls the walls or something like that. I forget exactly what the term was. So uh, to see him concede such an early goal uh, after having such a strong playoff, he just was in a really bad position on that shot. Uh, and Cortez was not close to him. I mean, Cortez could have taken two or three more steps to get a little bit tighter in there, but he just saw something on that back corner and was able to put, push it through. And I think that really set the tone pretty much for the entire match because it allowed Phoenix to sit back uh, for quite a long time. Well, what it did is it got into Orange County's head. I mean, immediately. It was palpable. Uh, and that was great because uh, Dom and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, towards the end of the game, they started to lose focus, even though they came up with some good opportunities that you'll get into, Aaron. Um, they were so busy being angry and blaming the refs on stuff uh, we just laughed. We were like, yeah, get in your own heads. You know what? You're doing us a favor. I, I will say this about the goal. This is a great example of the Drogba effect because what he, did, what he does first to win that ball and then to have the vision to play it for Kavon Lambert, it almost took Kavon by surprise, and he was just able to get a toe poke on it to push it forward for Cortez to do his thing. But a lot of guys wouldn't win that ball or they win the ball, but then they don't have the vision to push it forward right away into an attacking spot. And that's really what sets the whole play up. Uh, and then Cortez just does his thing. He's been scoring goals like this for us all year. Um, and especially in road matches, he scored a couple early ones. He scored the one early goal in the 1-0 match we won against OC. Um, so they should have known not to give him an inch of space when he can square it up with his left foot like that. 
they do. He makes them pay. And the stones you got to have to rip a shot like that from outside the box into that top right corner, I mean, I wouldn't even blame Rawls too much because as a keeper, and I, I can only speak for small goal and like in reels in college, but you're never expecting your first shot to be that. You're never expecting that. So someone to just rip one into the top corner like that where even if you're in perfect position, you're going to have to be lucky just to get fingertips to push it off the bar or something. I mean, how do you how do you deal with that? He didn't even put full power off of it. I mean, it really if you look at the actual the actual technique of the shot, it was it was a chip, but it was a chip that had power uh behind it and it just uh it almost looked like it was rising you know, sometimes you get a shot where it has some some uh, some backspin on it, and it looks like it's actually good, ro- rose up into that corner, uh, kind of like a golf shot would be, like a driver would be. Uh, so it was pretty pretty cool. Um, I'd I would like to see the angle uh, from more of a t- from the t- from a technical angle, you know, looking straight up and down on the field to see how if it would have curved or not. Uh, but it was a pretty pretty beautiful little little placement there. Yeah, you know, I'm looking at it right now uh, as as you're talking, Aaron, and it's it's funny because uh, kudos to you, Dom. I hadn't realized how much of a off the end of the Kevon Lambert's toe that shot was, and when when Lambert hits it with his toe, you see Cortez kind of do like a cartoony like jump, like woo, <laughs> and then he bears down on the ball. And yeah, it's not a full force strike; it's just a well placed strike, just beautiful. Every yeah. every no. single player there is just like giving their absolute max effort just to keep the attack going. Like Drogba, just at the right moment, threading it through for Lambert in such a small window. Lambert just doing enough to keep it going forward. And Cortez knowing that a double team was about to close in on him, just getting a shot on. And what a beautiful goal to see right there. So that sets sets us up essentially for for a, a little bit of a tone here. And the tone that se- that sets in is very similar to the tone that sets in against Swope. Here, uh, now we're up. We're up a goal at that you know, with against Swope. It was two to one. Here, it's one to nothing. Um, and now Phoenix is mostly satisfied uh, with playing on the counter as a play as opposed to playing with possession. Um, and they did that for the majority of the match. Uh, here, our po- uh, possession statistic from the from the Swope game it was Swope with 70% possession, Phoenix with 30. Uh, this match again, for Rising versus Orange County ends in a 33 to 67% uh, possession statistic. So, again, with the, just sitting back and Phoenix Rising's next major opportunity comes in about the 35th minute. Um, with a, a pass that gets pushed up the field, and I forget who sent it, uh, but but Solomon Asante gets sent um, basically from it was our I think quarter Cortez. of the field. Yeah, yeah, Cortez. it was Cortez who shot that down, and then Asante had to just like haul down the field to or down the pitch to to get to the ball. And if you've ever seen the Road Runner in uh, <laughs> you know in a Road Runner versus the Coyote commercial. This guy's legs are just cooking, and his arms are pumping to get to that ball um, in the corner. He gets the ball in the corner, takes a turn. Now, he could have taken some more time with it, but lets one loose. And as that ball left his foot, all I can think in my mind is, 
that ball's going in the stands. That's a that ball's way too high. It's not going in the center. Um, and much to my surprise, here comes Scortez, Super Scortez, you know, uh, laying himself out, uh, putting a head on the ball, just barely gets past Rawls. Um, and gets past the far post. Now, again, the camera angles, we talked about this this in the Orange and Black podcast. It's a beautiful stadium, but the camera angles just suck. <laughs> and they're just horrible. Um, so I can't tell how close that that shot was. Do you guys have any opinion? How close was that header to being in? Because if it would have gone in, I think that place would have erupted in flames. I mean, it looked like it was a few inches wide if you from the camera angle that I saw because as you said the the camera angle sucked um I mean just classic Cortez you feel like in that kind of opportunity just amazing to be able to see him connect to that using that large frame um but I mean yeah like you said Aaron it looked like it was so close and that that right there had me jumping off my feet because if we could have gone up 2-0 going into half it just would have been ridiculous well that, that no go on Kevin I was just going to say that it was. It, I, I estimated it to be less than a foot off of the far post. Um, and what was funny, of course, we were going crazy, but you should have seen the relief in the Orange County uh, fans' eyes. Because <laughs> that would have been the death knell right there. I mean, that, that shot and the Asante shot in the second half, like both of those missed by inches. Um, if either of those go in, we could be talking about a very different match, but... Um... I just could not believe on the broadcast when they said that was Cortez on that header. Because I was like, didn't he send that long ball forward from his own, like, way in his own half? Like, everyone loves Chris Cortez, but he's not going to win any competition for fastest player on the squad. And there he is, hauling to get to that ball, not even on a bounce. And then to put that kind of a header on it, I mean, that's that shows you how much this meant to him and to this whole team. I mean, that's that's insane. That's all heart. Yep. Yeah, it, it absolutely was, and we talked about it. Every single player gave their heart, gave their all last night. And, I mean, that was just evident right there. Him playing that long ball to Asante, who takes the extra effort to get there and collect that ball and then just plays it in for a great opportunity for Cortez and – I can imagine that right there, some of those Orange County fans, yeah, we're, uh, we're puckering up a little bit because that that right there would have no doubt been the death nail because if Phoenix had been up 2-0, they would have, they would have cruised to victory at that point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, that kind of – and I'm trying to think. Uh, I believe that uh, Drogba had a uh, – a foul kick that that had a had a nice chance toward the end of of the first half, but I can't recall everything off the top of my head there. But that kind of take takes us into the second half, and and I just want to I want to pause our conversation here because the one thing that I was thinking about as the game was going on, um, and especially after the game ended, and, and we'll continue on with with some second half analysis here in just a moment, is that the members of this particular podcast, right, the Rising is one podcast really have to um, kind of maybe take a look back here and maybe we have to eat just a little bit of crow uh, because there were there's a couple conversations that we had about Chris Cortez and what 
and and his his legs and his thirty year old legs and maybe a little bit of tired legs, and we had some talk about you know does Drogba even return to the starting uh, starting eleven, and what shape would he be in when he actually makes it onto this team? Because at that point we were playing well, but we were we were trying to play our best possible team in all ways, shapes, and sizes, and even with Cortez scoring the goals that he was scoring, we're saying, gosh, you know sometimes he looks a little slow, sometimes he looks a little bit, bit tired. But my God, you know, it's just like hockey, right? Uh, hockey, the second season, it is a totally different feel for this team. And Cortez exemplified that with his run, uh, making his way through three quarters of the field to put a head on, head on a ball. And, and uh, Didier Drogba has just played lights out here um, with yet another playoff goal to his credit. So... That's what I was thinking. You guys react to that, Kyle. Tell me, tell me. Uh, you know, are are we eating crow here, or were we right on? Where where did we go wrong in our analysis? Hey, if if we're eating it, it tastes delicious right now, and it tastes like a championship, and I don't mind. Um, I think <laughs> I think I mean from our perspective, we were looking at it as we wanted to see the best results we could see on the field, and. Maybe Cortez and Drogba were the players at that time that weren't performing up to the high standards that we hold them to. But, I mean, I think that that was just the learning period that we were going through because now we found the style of play and the system that these players perform best in. And, I mean, it, the results are being put out on the field. I mean, it's that we can't deny that ultimately this is our strongest 11. This, these are the guys that need to be out on the pitch every single minute of every single match. Yeah. What about you? Oh, go go ahead, Dom. I was just gonna say, <laughs> same same thing as Kyle. Like if that if that crow is what we're eating, it it tastes phenomenal. Um, you can tell that they put every ounce of effort that they possibly could. Both those guys, uh, and really everyone on the squad last night. I don't think you can say there was one person um, who wasn't giving a hundred ten percent. Whether it's you know our defenders just blocking everything in sight um fernandez being really nice in the midfield um <clears throat> winning some balls kavon lambert being a director and then our people up top taking advantage of those chances we got so as we kind of speak about that a little bit here we head into i believe it was about the 61st 62nd minute uh we win a foul in the middle of the field uh, for which Didier Drogba is the man to step on, up into. And I was telling my wife and telling my son as we were watching this, um, and, I, I, and I believe that Tyler Terrence or Devin Kerr actually may have made the same comment. This is the reason why Didier Drogba is still in the game, you know, to be able to step up and give these free kicks. And he places a beautiful free, uh, free kick, gets it past the wall, places it on frame, uh, the ball does bounce off of Andrew, uh, uh, Andre Rawls, and Cortez, using that speed that, that we're talking about here, um, pulls up to try to, uh, to uh, capture that rebound and pulls, uh, after Rawls captures it, uh, Cortez pulls up lame. He's down on the ground. Uh, play continues for uh, for a short while. Uh, he stays down the whole while, and we get a zoom in from the camera on him speaking to the trainer, and he tells the trainer very clearly, "I can't go." Um, 
This seems to be a re-aggravation of a hamstring injury uh, that we saw in an earlier match when he was pulled off a little bit early uh, in one of the last two games of the season. I forget which which match it was. Um, it was, I believe, it was the third to last match game of the season, but I forget who we were playing at the time. So it looks like a re-aggravation of an injury. Kai, uh, Dom, tell me, what's your opinion on how he's going to be able to recover with such a short rest period here? Uh, I think that our chirotherapy team, uh, our trainers, are among the best in USL. And so um, they're going to do everything possible to get him ready for Thursday. Um, based on like how he was at least moving under his own power at the end of the match, um, it seems like he will be available for us in at least some role. Will he maybe have to come off the bench? It's a possibility. But I would be shocked if he isn't at least on our 18-man roster as an option. Uh, whether he's able to start or not, that's a different conversation. And I think we need more clarity on that in the days to come. Kevin, he came out of the tunnel when, af after the game uh, when they came out with their championship shirts on. He came out of the tunnel did not look, uh, with smiles, did not look like he was walking in pain, did not look like he was walking with a limp. You were on the field at the end of the match there. Tell us... What did you see from Kevin Cortez? What does it, did his body language tell you? Well, yeah, Chris came out and he was all smiles. And actually, I saw Chris. We as the as the stadium started to empty, uh, and we were waiting on I forget what we oh we were waiting on a, a player interview uh, for Carl to come out. We just finished uh, an interview with uh, Rick Schantz and and Chris came walking back in through the tunnel. I guess he was maybe talking to family or friends in the stands. Um, he was walking normally. Um, I said something to him like, Hey Chris, you know, take care of that, uh, take care of that leg. And he just kind of smiled and, and kept walking. Now, when I talked to coach Schantz, it's, he gave pretty much the same assignment that Dominic gave, which is, we're just going to have to wait and see, um, for Chris to come off the field with, uh, with just a minor injury, um, would have been doubtful to me because he was very, very energized in that game. Um, so it must have been something significant enough where he was he was feeling like he had to get off the pitch and maybe protecting himself for uh, Thursday. Um, you know, I don't know. And, of course, this is something they're going to keep close to their chest uh, in the front office. Uh, so we're going to have to wait and see. But what the good thing was Chris was walking, and he was walking completely normally, which is different than when he first injured his hamstring. Kyle, if Chris can't go, uh, if we don't see Cortez come back, uh, come back, if he's done for the season, what do you feel our best option is as we're heading into Louisville? Uh, I'd have to say we put Kavon Freider in. Um, Freider, you know, he hasn't had many starts this season, but I think when he has been on the field, he's been a great presence. Even though he hasn't maybe gotten on the score sheet as much as he did last season, he still has a lot of energy to bring, but... Um, yeah, I mean, to go back to what Dominic and Kevin said, really, it, we got we just have to be hopeful for Cortez. Hopefully he makes the flight to Louisville and, you know, he's on the team sheet. If he doesn't start, um, maybe in a substitute role, I think just having his presence there and the ability to call him off the bench would be huge for Phoenix. Hopefully it was just him kind of being precautionary, not wanting to risk anything and having his eyes on the on the USL Cup final. So 
Um, yeah, I mean, I really think Freighter's our best option. You know, we could we could put Drogba up top and have a Waco play in the number 10 role as he has a lot. Um, that's also an option. But I, I really think that Kavon Freighter should get the start if Cortez is not able to, to play at all. So with Chris Cortez coming off the field in the, in the 67th minute, uh, we now begin the, the, the game of substitution. Uh, Phoenix Rising has a couple options. Number one, that first option, as I'm sitting in, my, in playing armchair coach, uh, is, is Kevon Freider. And I'm thinking, okay, we're going to put Kevon Freider. He's going to be playing in the 9 role, and we're going to keep Drogba in the 10 role. Instead, they, they push Drogba forward uh, and put in Gladson Awako, the diminutive uh, uh, Ghanaian uh, uh, midfielder, uh, in for Chris Cortez. This is an this is a little bit of an interesting move because now you're you're putting Drogba in a position where he's going to have to rely on speed and do a lot of running uh, with uh, you know a midfielder behind him. But it seems to work out pretty pretty well. Uh, as we're playing the substitution role, Orange County does the same thing. They take out Richard Chaplow for possibly, and pr- I should say probably the final match of his career, his final substitution. Uh, he's he looks to be. Uh, finishing up, and we ha- we see uh, Kaji Hoshimoto, who is just an outstanding player for Orange County, come on and bring some fresh legs. Uh, that substitution is going to have some some future uh, consequences uh, for Phoenix Rising, but not until after some really incredible heart stopping pinball play. Uh, that starts with Solomon Asante uh, making some uh, making a pass into I believe it was Billy Forbes. Yes. Uh, yeah, makes a pass into Billy Forbes. Billy Forbes does what he do- does best. Uh, um, unfortunately, in this particular case, and that shoots it right at the goalkeeper. Uh, but the goalkeeper rebounds it. Ball falls at the foot of uh, Didier Drogba with an open net. Drogba put places a ball squarely into a defender, uh, but doesn't stop, and gets a rebound, and then is able to poke the ball past the defender and the goalkeeper on the right hand, uh, the right hand side. You know, there, there's like three shots that happen within a, a five second period here, and each one of them is making my heart jump as if I'm getting hit with a defibrillator. Chunk, chunk. You know, I mean, just like incredible play. Uh, Kevin, tell us what what was that like on the you know on the pitch uh, in the stands there? Well, yeah, I think it was uh, three or four seconds. Um, maybe I don't think it was quite five because it seems even in the replays to go by so quickly. Um, the amount of pressure that like built up in my head in those couple of seconds was like enormous because it was like mischance, mischance, and you're just waiting for a defender to kick the ball out, you know, and just clear it. Um, and all of a sudden, Drogba got that that ricochet off the player and drilled him in the back of the net. And two things happened. First of all, all that pressure released, and we were like, okay, now we now we're looking safer, right? We can't we can't let up. But we've got that safety goal, um, and that takes a lot of pressure off of both the players and, frankly, the fans at that point. Um, and what it really did to the Orange County team. I wouldn't think it it didn't deflate them as much as it just really just pissed them off. Um, they seem this is when the anger phase. Dom, we talked about this before we started this. 
this is where Orange County really started to go into the blame games and the anger phase big time. And we saw a lot of pushing and shoving, screaming at the refs, screaming at each other. Um, the, the coach seeming to encourage that kind of behavior through his behavior on the sidelines. Um, it was the turning point for the second half of the match for sure. Yes. And, Dom, uh, oh. yeah, Dom, we've talked. I was just going to say before the goal, um, credit to Jason Johnson for getting that initial shot. I had to watch that back a couple times. It was uh, Jason Johnson who actually did his shot looked like it was going in, but um, keepers have been on their A game in those situations against him. But thankfully, Drogba was there to pick it up. Kyle, yeah. we've, Kyle we've talked a lot about uh, Phoenix Rising needed, needing to keep their composure to avoid playing on tilt. Uh, Kevin was kind of talking about that a little bit. What what did you kind of observe in terms of the Orange County player uh, uh, composition, uh, as especially as that second goal came in? Do you agree with Kevin? Is that is that your feel too? Oh yeah, I mean I can only say from a, a TV you know watching perspective. I was watching it here in Phoenix, but I mean you definitely could see it through the TV. That second goal uh, pissed off the Orange County fans, the players, the coaching staff, everyone. And um, I, I think for them, it was probably the frustration of, of having, you know, all those blocked opportunities and Drogba still scored. Um, for us, I mean, like we said, it was just a, a moment that, you know, just seemed to stand still. Drogba just, you know, constantly having that, you know, great effort, not being able to put it in and finally puts it in the back of the net. Just amazing to be able to go up 2-0. But that's really did seem to be the turning point in the match that, you know, it seemed like that's where... Orange County got slapped in the face, and they didn't like it. And they definitely woke up. Um, their substitutions were definitely more attacking-minded than Phoenix. I think I think Gladson Owako came on to to maybe provide more defense. I think if Kavon Frader came on in that situation, we would you know we wouldn't see as much of him tracking back as we do out of Owako. So I like the sub by Shantz, but um, I mean it was just ugh, crazy helter skelter final 15 minutes. And yeah, that's a good point too. Because um, when 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 Gladson went on the field, I thought we're making a defensive move and they're making an offensive move. And I'm not saying that it was the wrong move. And of course, we won the game, so you can't really argue it. But it was interesting to see what what was going on in Rick Schantz's mind because it was a defensive move. Um, and uh, I just thought, wow, okay, let's hope that this pays off. I wasn't. I wasn't sure. Uh, you know, it made me a little bit nervous, and especially as they started to press, as OC started to press. Um, I was glad to have Gladson out there because he really did produce while he was on the pitch uh, that part of the uh, the game. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I was kind of wishing that we had a little more attack on the field too to just kind of seal the deal. Yeah, and my apologies as I as we do go back. Uh, that was Jason Johnson that that set off the the pinballing uh, for the Drogba score. We did not see uh, uh, Forbes until a little bit later, and Forbes yep. uh, uh, Forbes did have a shot on goal um, and and was able to press and use his excellent speed to press a little bit. Um, come, just a couple minutes after after the Drogba goal we do see a not quite a defensive lapse. I mean, we really see what what had been building for quite a long time. Uh, with uh, or- with Orange County, Orange County just continued to put in cross after cross after cross, and f- we seem to be giving them the opportunity. They're on the wings. I I can't tell if that was if we were giving it to them or their ball movement was just that outstanding. They were really able to to put a lot of balls into the box, um, and our defensive 
you know, what our back four, along with some assistance from Colin Fernandez and Kevon Lambert, uh, was able to keep pushing the ball out and clearing the ball out. Um, Jason Johnson even got in the mix, much to the surprise of Tylen Terrence and Devin Kerr. Uh, he he had a, a really strong clearance, uh, and to which which garnered their recognition and saying everybody's getting involved in the defense at this point. Uh, that unfortunately we just could not keep up with uh, with that level of attack. Uh, they put a cross in uh, <clears throat> in the box. And Kyle, you had the statistic for the number of crosses that they had. What was that number again? So Orange County ended the match with 35 crosses to Phoenix Rising's eight. I mean, so, you know, it's not a big surprise that one of those 35 crosses... Uh, would actually make its way to somebody's foot in the 82nd minute. We do see that happen as Kochi Hashimoto uh, takes a cross, gets a right-footed shot in close range. It uh, makes its way past Waz, who is in a decent position, um, but he he stands up on it instead of going down and, and going down to the ground. And it blocks, and now my heart's racing just a little bit what about yours dom yeah i mean that's so that's definitely if you're going to keep putting the ball into the box once in a while you're going to have opportunities arise and that's what happens on this goal it's a little frustrating because it seemed preventable and that's what tyler terrens was saying on the broadcast where uh he actually was saying carl should have gotten to that ball a little bit quicker and he was saying you know as a goalkeeper you got to be like all out to get a hand on that at least. Um, it was kind of in this weird in-between spot between him and Joe Farrell, uh, but Tyler Terrence seemed to uh, put a lot of that on Carl more than Farrell, who was trying to stay with other defenders um, and you know, maybe try to play the offside trap there. But in any case, Hashimoto puts it in, no offsides given. Um, and then going to your point earlier about Orange County having a ton of crosses was that us giving them those or is it just their attack being that strong i think it's the latter because this is the team that scored by a wide margin the most goals in the western conference this season uh this is a team that has multiple guys in double digits for goals um just a tremendous scoring team who when they're on their form can score five or six goals so they're not going to lay down in a home match in the playoffs no matter what, they're going to keep creating these opportunities. And you really, it just has to be all hands on deck, and you, you hope you can hang on and, and keep them at bay as long as possible. Two times this year, we've been able to keep them just enough at bay, but they're going to be relentless. They're going to make you earn, almost like beating the Patriots, they're going to make you earn it, you know, just relentless attack. And, and speaking of being relentless, so as the match progresses, we hit that ninety, that glorious 90th minute uh, where we have an announcement of, of what the extra time is going to look like. And they announced six, a minimum of six minutes of extra time. Where this time come, came from, I don't know. What was the reaction in the stands when that number six showed up there, Kevin? They were actually pissed because they thought they should have had eight. They were chanting. Well, there was led by this one particular guy. <clears throat> I was standing at the end of the time on the sidelines at that point and uh so the some i guess some of the big fans for the team are down in the in the front row seats there in the middle 
And uh, this one guy had been screaming, it better be eight minutes and eight minutes. And other people were chiming in. So when they said six, they were not pleased. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, where are you getting eight minutes from? Why don't we give them 20 while we're at it? You know, it was just so ridiculous. And, and again, these guys were blaming the refs through and through on this loss. Uh, they were just chapped left and right. And, and felt like the refs took the game. And I, I just feel like that perspective is ridiculous. Um, I've got a little work to do because I, I at halftime I was with the Orange podcast guys again, and they made some comments about Drogba uh, diving during the game that took me so back that I couldn't respond. So, yeah, we're gonna I'm going to respond. They're going to be on my show uh, this week, and I'm going to respond to that. But that's how salty these guys were. Nothing seemed to please them. Nothing was good enough. They felt like they were the team that should win this game, that we shouldn't have had a chance, and they were just completely salty about everything. And, you know, just to, just to really quickly support you on this, um, there was one instance where just watching on the TV, you heard the whole crowd shouting, the coach, you know, probably cussing out the referee um, on a potential handball call from Tristan Blackman right before second mm-hmm. goal. And they show it on the replay. It's not even close to being a handball. It, like, gets him, you know, like, the left side of the chest, but, I mean, at least, like, six inches from being a handball. And it's just, it's great to see that salt when you know that the ref made the right decision. Um, And then, you know, also right before that second goal, I forget uh, the first name of the guy, but they had this guy, Kevin Alston, I think, um, who just was going after a ref after one foul against him. And this one I remember because he did not get censored. <laughs> and any TV viewer heard a loud, heard a loud F-bomb. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, they hit the mute button a little bit too late on that on-field mic. But, uh, you know, that, that was the one that really stuck out. But there were other instances where people were yelling and it, it picked it up. And uh, it made it a fun TV viewing experience, but um, also could really – See how aggravated the fans and the players were feeling that they were wronged by not getting one or two penalty shouts. And uh, <laughs> that one play is just, that's just classic. Yeah, I want to go back and uh, uh, take a look and try and find where that was. And I think we got to make a meme out of that or something. Oh, for um, sure. So, so in addition to this kind of outrageous six minutes of extra time, uh, we have our final. Uh, we make our final substitution. We pull Solomon Sante off in favor of Shaft Brewer, uh, probably so that we can get some of that speed that we know that we're that we're not going to quite have with Didier Drogba. Uh, Kyle, tell me what your thoughts are, are on uh, what what's the what's your biggest takeaway for Solomon Asante's uh, contribution to this match? Uh, I mean, it's just like every single other match for Asante. He leaves it all out there on the field. He he puts effort into every single ball, every single shot that he plays. Um, just works his ass off every single match. And I think that he, you know, we would have loved to see him finish out the full match, but he definitely earned that, you know, late substitution and give Shaft an opportunity to come on the field in such a big game and bring a lot of energy, which we desperately needed at that point in the match. So great substitution. And I mean, for Asante, just another great outing. Um, I mean, just keeps, you know, contributing week in and week out. We know what we can expect out of him. And he's one of those players that you just love to have in the team. Um, to go back to Kevin 
on those, you know, the six minutes of added time, I myself was taken back at six minutes. I thought maybe, you know, five max. But if if the Orange County fans were really going to be that salty and complain that it should have been eight minutes, well, they basically got that because when the ref blew the whistle, it was 97 minutes and 45 seconds. So they really have no one to be salty on considering they got an extra minute 45 for free. Which, absolutely. which Tyler was pointing out on the broadcast too. Uh, he was absolutely making that point. There were six minutes of open play, and play was continued to go for another 30 seconds before they got that last free kick opportunity, which we'll get to in a few seconds. But um, just on the one uh, comment about people diving and Drogba diving, there's a difference between diving and gamesmanship. Now, sometimes Drogba and Ashante will like work the ball, and they'll work defenders and draw the foul. And maybe it'll take a few seconds longer on the ground than like a normal person would take in the second minute of the match. That's gamesmanship. That's not diving. If you're a defender in that situation, you have to put your foot in at the right spot and not get worked by Drogba or Asante and have them juke you out and then get butthurt about it because they got you, basically. Um, and, and really, that's... I could see where their argument is coming from, where they could seem to be upset because he's going to ground consistently, but at the end of the day, if there's contact, it's a foul. So just suck it up. Well, you know, you say that, and, and, you know, Dom, I think you and I see this a little bit when we're playing small goal, is if there's somebody that's directly behind you and that you know that he's chasing you, and you pull up and slow up a little bit, and he runs in the back of you, well, yeah, you're setting up that foul. That's why it's called winning a foul. You know, you set that up on purpose. Um, uh, Chris Cortez won a really great foul. He uh, he felt the player that was coming uh, coming onto him. He made a particular turn. He knew that the player was going to go for the ball. He knew that he was going to end up on the ground. And uh, that's what set up one of the Drogba free kicks. And... That's why we call it winning fouls in this game. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is absolutely gamesmanship. I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Um, so running on to uh, the, the most heart-stopping uh, play of the match, the last play, we're, we're looking at 97 and 15, 97 minutes and 15 seconds. We're already over the six-minute minimum. Uh, Christian Duke who was a substitute, came on, very, very talented player for Orange County, is able to take the ball on the uh, the, the right side of the pitch uh, to put a ball in for a, for a header or something uh, in the middle of the pitch. The ball pinballs around, comes off of, uh, comes off of again, Kaji Hoshimoto, right into the hands of Waz, and even my wife, who's not the biggest soccer fan, is going is just screaming as Waz catches the ball, lands on the ground, and we're all just thinking, "Thank God, this guy is our goalkeeper." Dom, what were you feeling? Oh, I mean, it was chaos. I mean, every every chance they had at the end there, every ball into the box, there were at least five, six instances of this match where the ball is just bouncing into the box like a pinball machine. And any wrong bounce, and we're doomed. And it, you know, with one exception, we survived those situations. Um, this one was no different. Um, 
you know, they credit them for actually getting quality chance on goal and, you know, the substitute getting that chance. And that's why Carl's experience comes through so big there because he has the presence of mind not just to punch it over for a corner, not just to get a hand on it and push it back into that scrum where any anything can happen. He grabs that ball. He hangs on to that ball like his life depends on it. And he's in the right position too because if you're in the wrong position there, that ball has passed you before you can react. Or at best, you get a hand on it and there's a rebound out there. Carl gets in the right spot, makes that catch, and, I mean, that's that's the experience right there of having a veteran who's been doing this for a long time and who knows how meaningful that opportunity was. If there's any chance he's going to make that save, he's going to make that save. And we are blessed to have such a quality keeper in that kind of a match. Kevin, tell us about... Tell us about what was what that was like in the stands, uh, you know, noise-wise and everything. That happened, I believe, on the opposite side of the field from the supporter section at that point. Is that correct? Uh, let's see. It was – I have to think because I was, no, was, was – No, it was on the supporter side. Yeah, it was on oh, the supporter side. Oh, it was in front of the supporters. All right. Yep. So, so what was that like <clears throat> noise-wise actually being there? Well, there was an audible, oh, you know, type of reaction, that quick intake of breath and you just kind of like, ah – um, it was kind of like you're in a horror movie and, you know, they make the big loud bang as the ghost pops out or whatever. I mean, it, cause it came out of nowhere and Waz's reaction time was huge. He looked like a 14 year old playing, you know, uh, one of those computer games, whatever it is that they play. Um, <laughs> it was, it was crazy. And, you know, I asked Waz, uh, he was our, our player interview uh, after the game and, my first question with him right out of the gate was, you know, Carl, do you consider that to be the biggest save of your career? And uh, he just laughed and and just gave credit to his front line and, and saying how well, you know, they did everything. And it was really the first time he had to do anything in the game. And he was like, yeah, if I didn't make that save, then why do they have me? <laughs> I was like, OK, I, I guess that's a that's a pretty humble reply. But so he never definitely said that it was his biggest one. I'm thinking it's got to be, if not the top, one of his top three, but uh, I don't know. Well, it is noticed that, noted that in his career, this is his first uh, his first and only cup win. Uh, so I, I think maybe he was underplaying it, or maybe it just hasn't hit him yet. I mean, what, how fantastic. Cal, what's your perspective? I mean, it, it, Carl's just a humble guy. I really think that's what it comes down to. You know, he... You know, he he's, was called on for that one great opportunity, and he made that save. I mean, he caught that thing like a newborn was being thrown at him. I mean, they just such careful hands, just collected that ball, took it all the way down to the ground. And um, Did I mean, you just I, you say just as it. if I mean, a newborn was being thrown at him? Oh, absolutely. I mean, did you, <laughs> did you see the care he took this right is, there? This I is mean, why just, we have him on the pod, man. That is an amazing analogy. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, Wazinski, I mean, it was, that was his time to shine. That is what goalkeepers live for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take it. I'm going to need a minute to recover from that. <laughs> hey, um, we, every week we bring something new. Hey man, you got to be able to hold that cup like a baby, right? Yeah. The cup hey, right there. You take can't care let of it. Through your absolutely. Fingers. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh man. 
but just I mean, it's what we love about Carl. It's why he's our number one and why we we all have such great faith in him because time and time again he just comes through in the clutch when when you know it's been maybe a quiet night, there haven't been too many shots on goal, but when there is that one quality opportunity, it seems like he's always there to make the save. You know, it's kind of funny um, because I've never been a keeper. <clears throat> I would never have a desire to be one uh, because I'm just too much of a chicken. Um, but what I have learned from a keeper sadly comes from playing FIFA on Xbox. But if you look at the stats and the way that the keepers are rated in FIFA, which reflects real life, um, you start to pick up on things. And one of the things that Carl brings to the plate is his positioning in the goal. He's watching what's going on the field, and he is he is like some of the great keepers that are out there today. He knows where he needs to be, how far he needs to be off of his line, or if he needs to be on his line. He's one of those people who just plays extremely well from a, per, a position perspective. And I think that is going to be very important, given the strikers that Louisville has. Um, it's going to be a big advantage for us. If he didn't have that kind of foresight, I'll call it just foresight, you know, basing his position based on what's going on in the play around the around the uh, box, um, we'd be in a lot deeper trouble, I think, with uh, Louisville. Yeah, definitely understand where you're coming from from there. Uh, want to kind of shift gears a little bit, uh, but let's do what are what are some last final thoughts here on the match, guys? Uh, Kyle, why don't you go first? I, I mean, just a amazing all-around team effort. That's really what it was. I mean, the, the team brought it. The fans brought it. Phoenix Rising just gave 110% last night. Um, I mean, just absolutely. You know, and I mean, the, the Orange County fans may feel salty. We talked about it. I think a lot of those calls were the correct calls. It was just a tough match. And Phoenix, you know, capitalized on their two great opportunities. They just made the goals happen when they wanted them to happen. And, I mean, that's really what it came down to. Orange County took way too long to get back in the match, and it ultimately cost them. But, I mean, just amazing all-around effort. It's it's still unreal that, that we've done this, but I think no one can detest that Phoenix was not the top team in the West this year. Them in Orange County were definitely the top two, and, you know, it came down to the, those 90 minutes, and Phoenix came out on top. All right, Dom, how about you next? Uh, that match was just one of those matches where, you know, two teams on paper are so evenly matched that it just comes down to who is going to have the intangibles in their favor, who is just going to have those little moments of magic that make the difference, and who's just going to show a little bit more heart in this match. And Phoenix Rising just had those things happen today because... I think you play that match 10 times, maybe five, maybe six of those times Orange County wins. That's how close these teams are. I mean, you look at our series record the last two years, it's it's all knotted up. Three three draws last year, one, one, and one this year. These teams are inseparable. And last night, Drogba had a moment of magic. Cortez had a moment of magic. Everyone did something that was just you know, like almost 110% of what they're capable of. You know, like things that we just haven't quite seen them do before. Just those extra moments. Everyone had to do that last night just to scrape it out, and we did that. And I think that's a testament to the character of this team, the heart that we have, 
how great a job Rick Chance has done getting these players to have that absolute uh, unity, especially in the back with him and Peter Ramage coming together to do that, and how bad everyone wants this for Drogba, and how bad Drogba wants this, you know, to finish his career. There was, I mean, Orange County may have had, I mean, they definitely had the ball longer. They might have created better chances, but we played with more cohesion. We were a truer team in that match, and that's how we were able to do it. That's how we were able to overcome. And if we go up against Louisville, who also finished with more points than us, also a road match, we're going to be playing in, like, the 40s. It might be raining. If we're going to get that win, it's going to be because of this team's spirit and how much heart it plays with, and I think we can do it. And some of that's a really interesting perspective because we did, we definitely had some matches early in the year where it felt like we were playing as, as a group of individuals, so the cohesion, uh, that's, a, that's a great take there. Kevin, <clears throat> while I do want to hear your personal take, what I really want to hear is you were the man on the ground out there. What, what were the fans saying about you know, the team support, providing the buses, you know, what, what were the fans talking about their experience and their takeaway of, of making this travel game uh, and turning Irvine red? You know, the the fans were, of course, ecstatic that, uh, that the team provided the buses, a way for us to get and afford to be able to get to California and show up in strength. And, and it was great because although we were late, again, it took seven and a half hours to get there. So we were fully two hours late to getting to the stadium. When we did get there, uh, Phoenix Rising had also set up uh, a couple of canopies and had hamburgers grilling and waiting for us and friends and stuff. So uh, a lot of people were able to just stuff some food in them because we were hungry. I mean, we'd made one stop for food. Um, I had to eat Carl's Jr. I'm still traumatized. Uh, but they uh, – they, um, fed us they they you know they brought the buses they you know did everything that they could to make sure that it was as easy as possible to get there and pour all our energy into the game and so it was it's all kudos all the way around and the team got what they needed from the fans which was an effort that was no less than 200 percent the entire game that's incredible i hadn't heard about the food stuff um so they they actually catered the the meal for you guys yeah, they had a couple of grills and grilling burgers and chips and stuff like that waiting for us. So we were surprised, too. We had no idea. We we just got off the bus, and they were like, yeah, go eat. We are like, okay. Uh, that's fantastic. Just shows what a class organization that, that uh, you know, we're not directly affiliated with by any means. But whenever somebody's talking to me, they, they said, so – you know, you do this stuff for the, for Firebird Soccer, and you're on the pod, this podcast. Do you get paid by the team? And the answer is no. I mean, we give our all so that we can develop great soccer culture for this team uh, and for the city. And you know, to see it reciprocated uh, back to back to the supporters uh, who are our listeners and who are our fans, uh, that really just uh, really amazing to see and and heartwarming. Um, in a way that very few other sports are. And that's what leads me to a little bit of, uh, we'll call it national attention that we that Phoenix Rising got this week. Uh, on November 2nd, Grant Wall, the Sports Illustrated, uh, I don't know if he, he's probably their head soccer guy or he's their most recognizable uh, soccer guy. 
uh, sat down, or he had previously sat down with, and he wrote a beautiful article for Sports Illustrated about Didier Drogba as one of the great forwards in world soccer over the past 20 years. Um, and he calls this the best love of game story in sports right now. Uh, and of course, plugs Phoenix Rising's run. So how incredible is it that here we have uh, um, Didier Drogba getting a getting some in really great love from Sports Illustrated, shining a bright light on second division soccer here in the United States uh, as part of a really fantastic publication that I've been reading since a little kid, Sports Illustrated. Uh, Dom, did you have a chance to read that article? I did, and uh, I I came away just as um, impressed as you were and, you know, stunned that we were getting that kind of coverage even before reaching the USL Cup. Um, And, you know, Drogba being so forthcoming so honest with grant wall and grant wall choosing us of all teams uh because he does so much with mls and mls expansion that kind of stuff uh just it took me back i I did not see that coming and it shows how how much attention is on this squad i mean you're even seeing some of drogba's goals being posted on our soccer right now on reddit um so it's it's uh it's cool to see how much of uh, how much momentum is building, not just on the pitch, but in the local and national and even international community? Yeah, I mean, my 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 retweet on that was, I mean, it, it's such a nice article. It almost brings you to tears because it's the same stuff that we've been saying, and we know this, and and our fans know that. Uh, our rising is pot. Uh, rising is one podcast listeners know know you know how genuine this guy is. Uh, but it's so great to see this this third party recognition, and I really I, I got really choked up sort of reading his um, his attitude about this because it just it really confirms what I felt like I I felt that this was his attitude, but to hear him talk to Grant Wall uh, and get this coverage, you know, is is, is so strong. Um, additionally, a couple weeks ago, and I don't think that we spoke about it, um, but Drogba actually penned his own piece for AZ Central and titled it, Here's Why I Chose Phoenix Rising FC. Uh, and it, that was such a great look into his career, him him as an individual. And really, you know, look, we're homers here. We, we know sort of what we have and what's being developed. But it's true. Like, you know, I'm sure when it was announced, there was a lot of people going, why the hell would he come to the desert? I don't get it. Uh, Kyle, did you read that article in the Republic? Yeah, I did. I did actually, and I, um, I mean, it's something that I can read time and time again. The reason why Drogba chose to come here, and it really just came through, you know, good connections, great circumstances, and a wonderful opportunity for Drogba. And I, I mean, when when you look at why he chose Phoenix, we were offering him something that no other team was, and that was the opportunity for ownership and to to bring a club into MLS and to to start from scratch essentially and everywhere else I'm sure he was being offered you know multi-million dollar massive contracts in China I mean he could have been you know one of the best played paid players in the world and he chose to come here take a modest salary but invest in a club that he believed in and I, I mean it's it's just insane and and to go to the Grant Wall article, I mean, it's just it's recognition that Phoenix Rising has no doubt deserved. 
And it's just coming at such a wonderful time right now because not only, you know, are we the team on the tip of everyone's tongue with MLS expansion, but we're doing it on the pitch as well. We're Western Conference champions playing in a USL Cup final. So, I mean, everything is going up for Phoenix Rising right now, and it's it's just crazy the amount of coverage that we're finally receiving. So before we move on to uh, the Louisville preview, which Kevin, I know, has, uh, I think, in talking with Kevin, he's seen a lot of footage of Louisville here. I just want to read this, and it's it's some of the last uh, the last words for, that Drogba penned in this Arizona Republic editorial. He said, "But the truth is, this is my last season, and now the playoffs are here. That Cup Burke texted me a photo of years ago is within sight. Maybe we win, maybe we don't. God will decide that. But whatever we do, from the owners to the front office, to the players to the fans, we'll do it together." will rise as one. I mean, it's just... Chills. It's awesome. Just, Chills. It's just awesome. I mean, literally. And it's and that's absolutely it. I mean, regardless of the result in Louisville, I mean, we can all look back on this season and be so proud. I mean, it, we've done things that no Arizona professional sports team has ever done before. And it's it's crazy to see this in our second season of existence. So before we move to Louisville, I just wanted to throw in one thing about the the game itself and the team. Um, first of all, I think what, score scoreboard is what counts, right? So we won the game with the points, but where we also won was the resiliency and focus that our team had, which we're back. I mean, we are fully back. I thought we were back last week, but we're even more so right now. We are not the team we were five weeks ago. We're not the team that we were two months ago. We are a new and better team. Uh, and this is the kind of team that it will take to win the USL Cup. So I'm very, very encouraged to see how well they're playing, how focused, no matter how much Orange County wanted to upset us, we weren't going to buy into slumming with them in the way that they were behaving. Um, and the second thing, I'll leave it at this, is I, I called this in our last episode of uh, the PRFC Fan Show. Um, I really think that Orange County is our rival. Uh, they are our nemesis. There is no other team in the USL who has a great dislike for us, and we have a great dislike for them. And they challenge us every time we come together. It wouldn't be fun to have Las Vegas uh, as a rival because most time we just pound them in the ground and we don't respect them. But OC, even though we don't like them, we have to respect them, and they always bring it. And I can't think of a better rivalry to have than somebody who's going to challenge you every time you walk onto the pitch. So I am really, really looking forward to not liking these guys for quite a while. Is that why you keep Edward around? Because he challenges you and you just, you know, <laughs> and, and you don't like him that much? And Is that it? I just think I look really good next to him, so, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Good. Great. All right, guys. So to be perfectly honest with you, I need your help because I need you to educate me about Louisville. I know nothing about this squad. I have not followed the Eastern Conference. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to do some preview stuff on them because I have this insane thought that when I look ahead, I jinx everything. And being a, being a lifelong ASU fan, uh, anytime you look ahead as a you uh, as an ASU fan, you end up falling flat on your tuchus. Uh That's Spanish. Uh, you can look it up. Um, and uh, I I didn't even want to to give a thought about booking a flight to Louisville until I heard the final whistle. 
in which I actually did book a flight. Um, so I'm looking forward to going to this game. Tell me what to expect. Uh, Kevin, I think you've seen, you've seen a lot of tape. Yeah, so Louisville, um, they are a, a good team with two very strong uh, attackers. Uh, you've got uh, Lancaster, of course, who won the Golden Boot, and then they have Ownby. And because uh, Cameron Lancaster has been so quiet in the playoffs, I think he's only scored one goal uh, in the playoffs. Maybe he got another goal, I forget, against Red Bulls. Um, Ownby has stepped up and uh, and really kind of taken – taken his uh his place so we've got these two strikers that are both very quality strikers and can make things happen lancaster of course is a forward and lb is a midfielder so you've got that what i call a dual layer of attack ability um other than them i think this is a team that somehow pulls it off but are in fact in a lot of ways quite unremarkable uh, I don't think that they won the game against the Red Bulls uh, this past uh, week on November 2nd, uh, as much as the Red Bulls just kind of uh, uh, dropped the ball, crapped the bed, however you want to put it. Um, they just, you know, Red Bulls either come out and are strong or they come out and they absolutely suck and they sucked against Louisville. So the game was boring. I actually fell asleep during part of it. Um, if we can go in and be the team, that we need to be that we that we were last night multifaceted control the ball in the middle use our speed good communication between our midfield and our strikers and shore up uh the uh, defense like we did last night we have a very very good chance at winning this match uh, yeah, and, and it'll very... be kind of interesting to see um, if own, uh, if Lancaster is going to be able to go because he did get injured in the 13 minute of that match. Yep. Um, I don't know that there's going to be enough recovery time, uh, and I don't know to what degree the injury is. Uh, Dom, give us a little perspective here. Well, you just took the words right out of my mouth because that was going to be the first thing uh, I was going to mention was Lancaster getting hurt in that 5-1 win. Um, but as Kevin said, they have a lot of other weapons, and I think... I'm a little bit more bullish on Lou City than he is. I mean, they absolutely dominated the Eastern Conference in these playoffs. 4-1 first round win, 2-0 in the second round, 5-1 in the conference final. I mean, they are looking like Spain against a bunch of pasties in Europe uh, these last few matches. And if you go to the regular season, they ended with a three-match winning streak. So they are in form. Another thing that a lot of people have said about Lou City is their field is atrocious. Well, that's also going to be changing for this USL Cup final. The league probably realized that that would be a bad PR look if the final that's on ESPN2 is going to be played on a choppy baseball field. And so they're moving it to Lynn Soccer Stadium. It's a soccer-specific field where Louisville men's and women's soccer plays. It has a 5,300-seat capacity, and I think there's... Room for standing room up to maybe 6,000, on one of the sides. Um, so it's it's definitely going to be a better venue. I don't know anything about the quality of the field, but um, it'll actually. Least... Yeah, Coach Sean said last night, Dom, that um, it is a professional level field. He is very, very happy to have that field. So that's that's at least one thing that uh, we won't have to worry about. You know, the weather forecast is looking like 40s it's looking you know potential rain in the forecast but 
I don't think that affects us too much. We've had matches in rain before. Maybe a little bit cooler up there than, you know, the guys are super used to. But we have people from all over the place. Um, you know, temperatures like that aren't going to affect Joe Farrell. They're not going to affect Drogba. They're not going to affect um, some, of, some of these guys. So I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. The only thing possibly would be, you know, people's muscles tighten up and you see some cramping, those kinds of things. I think if the field condition was worse, like we saw in Swope last playoffs, then you have the injury concern. But because the field is nice, you don't have that as much. And so really it just comes down to, you know, clearly the best team in the East against pretty clearly the best team in the West. Uh, Lou City, for those who didn't know, defending USL champions too. So we're going to have the support of the neutrals in this match. I think if you go on uh, USL Reddit, most people out East are pulling for us in that final, especially Cincinnati fans. Um, so that's that's another angle. This is a team with a lot of experience. These guys have done this before. So they're not going to be intimidated of this big moment. But I don't think we will either. And as far as you know, playing style, um, they're not going to blow you off the pitch. I think it's more about uh, they're just a solid team and they'll take advantage of opposing mistakes. So if we can limit our mistakes, I think it's going to be a very close, very hard-fought match. Kyle, what do you got? Uh, it's going to be very close, as Dominic said. I mean, Louisville is a quality team. Um, I, I think that Phoenix has, you know, great chance to be there. You know, the, the odds might not be in their favor, but I think that, you know, Phoenix playing on a better surface than what we've seen Louisville play on all season is going to be a huge plus in Phoenix's favor. Also, like Dominic talked about, um, I think Louisville's been a really good team, but, I mean, in this match especially if you look at the highlights going back to the first penalty that Louisville gets, they really got fortunate there. I mean, it's a red bull player falls down. The Louisville player trips over his leg as he's laying on the ground and the ref calls a penalty kind of just a weird occurrence right there that kind of just turned the match. Um, so, I mean, I feel like Louisville, they have been tested a decent amount, but they have not come up against a team of rising's caliber yet this postseason. And, I think the weather, I don't think it'll have too much of an effect. Rain, maybe more so, but the cold weather, I think, you know, Phoenix has done everything right. Our facilities have been top-notch all season. I think the training staff is going to have everything ready to go, heaters if necessary for the players. I mean, we're going to do everything we need to be successful on the pitch. Yeah, and I'm looking up a, a little bit about the stadium. That looks to me, uh, by virtue that Google Maps actually doesn't even have um, – doesn't even have a great footprint. Looks like it's a brand new soccer stadium. Very similar in design to uh, Grand Canyon U University's new stadium. Uh, it, it only has bleacher seats on one side, which is going to be kind of interesting, uh, uh, depending on what USL decides to do for camera angles. Uh, on the supporters' end, there's a triangular-shaped bleacher section there as well. Uh, so we'll have to see uh, how, that, how that fills up with supporters. But it looks like it's going to be a really cool environment. The one thing that will be interesting from a photography standpoint or from, from a video standpoint is that it's possible that the camera is going to be facing the end that has no fans on it. Uh, so it's going to be kind of like, oh, I forget who in the East has a stadium like that. Um, oh, there's one of them that's like that. Whether it's, you know, the Riverhounds uh, stadium is kind of set up that way where 
uh, you're looking at, at the at the river in the background instead of uh, in, instead of fans in the stands. So uh, we'll have to see what this ends up actually looking like when it comes to uh, comes to a screen near you, unless you're deciding to make the the excellent investment uh, in in traveling. Uh, my flight was uh, seven hundred dollars. Uh, and I did find a hotel room for about a hundred bucks as well for for the quickest turnaround ever. My wife has given me plenty of uh, guff about you know what she could be doing with that money, but she also understands that this is uh, an opportunity that is well earned by not just the team but by the fans as well. So uh, if you can make it out, uh, Jose Boss just recently tweeted out uh, he wants to know what fans are going. Uh, presumably, are they making a list so that the, that they can do some activities or at least know who's going to be out there? So he did ask for a single uh, a signal boost. Uh, if you are going to be heading to the match, please tweet to Jose Bosch at, at HJBOSCH21 and let him know that you're going to be uh, making the trip out to Louisville. Guys, that's pretty much what I had. Am I mi- Are we missing anything? Supporters section questions. Uh, supporters section questions. What do we got going on? Um, so, thankfully, the supporters came through this week in a big way. Um, definitely knew that this would be a week with high turnout because of how thrilling the win was. And, you know, first ever USL Cup final appearance. Um, and so, here we go. We have a nice supporter section. Five of these first one is uh from boone brady um and you know just saying here i think these are some great questions so uh from boone brady why hasn't the interim tag been lifted off of chance yet i feel like give it a week but what are your guys thoughts i'm simply he's he's not been uh he's not been designated as the permanent head coach it's as simple as that (laughs) thanks for that thrilling insight there <laughs> yeah i mean you know it, it is what it is what it is we're not going to get any inside information from the front office on this believe me i've tried uh they are focused on what was last night and now what's going to come up thursday and anything else that it has anything to do with beyond thursday they are not going to address it and that's i mean that's the attitude you want right now but you can't say that if Rick Schantz, I mean, regardless of what he's done, he's earned it in my opinion. But if he goes out there and brings home that cup, you have to remove the interim tag because he he is in for the long haul at that point. When he when he goes and clinches you a cup um, after it was a you know set goal early on in the season, I mean, it's it's just it's ridiculous. So I'm going to be your wet blanket and kind of giving give you my thoughts on why that hasn't been done now i want you to understand that in in my opinion he's the head coach he's been the head coach i don't even know why there's he's he was announced he's the head coach for this season that means he's the head coach like they came out and said he's the head coach for this season that he he's the head coach period there is no interim um you know every coach is going to make a decision maybe from season to season or contract to contract. But when they, when the team comes out and says, we're not, look, we're not going to make a change. He's, he's it until, until we're done. That means he's the head coach. He's not the interim. So 
I never have called him the interim, and on Firebird Soccer, we don't call him the interim head coach. He, we call him the head coach. But I will say the the only knock that I can see uh, from my perspective, uh, uh, there's there's two little ones. He doesn't have the same coaching certifications. He's not a UA, UEFA uh, certified coach, um, and that may be one of the things that that the um, ownership and, and uh, board of directors is looking for. So he's not a a UEFA certified coach, and I, I'm not sure what level his ussf coaching is either um but that's one knock the second the second potential knock is that his connections are very uniquely arizona he is arizona soccer uh, you know he's got all the connections through you know rsl arizona and everywhere else you know as he's developed through fc tucson and through all the programs uh the problem is is that this is a usl squad it is an international squad uh, I don't know that he has the international connections that are necessary to build a comp- to build a year in year out uh, second division squad. Um, this is stuff that we can talk about in the off season. I think he's done a masterful job with this particular uh, team. I think he learned so much from Frank Yollop. He learned so much from that experience of of coming in as an interim for Frank. Um, and what he needed to do uh, to assert his proper and well-earned authority when Patrice Carteron left. Uh, he, t- he spoke about it shortly after the transition and the lessons that he learned and what he's been able to employ uh, to show that he is the authority figure in this town for soccer. I just am not 100% sure that he stays the head coach for a, a, a spectacularly long term in the future simply because of the lack of the international connections. So, sorry, my wet blanket. No, that's realistic, you know. We can't deny everything you're saying. It, it, we just aren't going to know till we know. Yeah, and I mean, I, there's definitely, you know, plenty to be said for that. But, um, I mean, there's also, you know, player acquisitions could also fall upon the GM role. So maybe the general manager has, you know, some connections as well. We, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's still a learning process with Phoenix. Definitely. I mean, I don't think anyone foresaw Patrice Carterone leaving, you know, mid season. So that was, you know, something where Phoenix had to scramble, but you know, we're a quality franchise and the team already had the pieces in house to be able to continue building. And to be able to do that is just a testament itself. And, for Shantz, you know, like you said, Aaron, um, to me, he's always been the head coach. And, you know, for right now, I think he should continue to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you can't think about it during the season. And, you know, in most sports, you evaluate the coaching situation at the end of the season and not during the season. You don't want that being a distraction. Um, I mean, I think... There are arguments for him to, like, you know, the certifications. How that could potentially be a thing, but the way that the players have responded to Rick Schantz and as far as building the long-term, you know, not just a team but a culture here in Arizona, I think he's the guy for the job. And I think win or lose, he has done enough to remove that interim tag. And I think you'll probably see something maybe next week maybe in a month, but I would be really surprised if he's not our manager when next season starts. 
the the better question is going to be who's the technical director for next season, and I think that there's some uh, uh, some very legitimate um, speculation about who that who that might be. I don't think it, this isn't going to be the show to go into that, but I um, I, I think uh, you guys all you know you just keep listening, just keep listening. We'll have some good conversation about that. All right, <laughs> how about the next supporter uh, supporter question? Sure. So, I mean, I'll give credit to each person who asked, but I think a couple of these we might have already covered. Um, Pat Moses says, if Cortez can't go, do you put in Freighter or keep Drogba up top and bring in a Waco? I think we had probably, I think we mostly said, let's put Freighter in. Do you think that that's a decent alternative, bringing in a Waco, putting Drogba up top? I, I like Drogba in the 10. Um, it, it saves his legs a little bit, doesn't require the speed as much. I, I think that Freighter is a really good option in, in that 10. But also, uh, as discussed by uh, Tyler Terrence and Devin Kerr, uh, it, you could also put Jason Johnson up up into that 9 role um, as well and, and see what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, it, you could play Jason Johnson up top and Billy Forbes out wide where Johnson is. That could add a lot of speed. I mean, there's there's multiple things that, you know, Rick Schantz could do to, to tweak this team. But for me, I mean, if we're just going to swap one player out, I really see just bringing Freighter on. You know, he brings a lot of energy, keeping Drogba in the 10. And then, you know, if, if we decide later on in the match, you know, maybe we need a more defensive substitution bring a waco back in and move drogba up top or you know we can kind of worry about it at that point but for me i think that that freighter should get the start if drogba can't go we need to keep our formation you know similar to what we've been finding success in. i think that's going to be the biggest key yeah Kevin? yeah i i'm torn right now um there are a couple of unknowns especially with cortez um, I, I am a proponent of mixing things up so the other team doesn't know what to expect, but sometimes you got to look at something and say, it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I got to look at a little more, I'm going to look at more Louisville tape this week and, and then I'll have more of opinion right now. I'm going to say, let's, if, if Cortez can't come in, let's throw Kevon Freighter in there and let's see what he can do. Uh, but if you ask me on Wednesday, I might say, let's mix it up a little bit more. Well, I guess only Rick Chance has the answer to that. Um, a couple other questions that we covered already. Um, so we, we really don't have to do as much of a panel on these ones. Um, Ghost of Luke Rooney says, will Cortez be back in time for the game? Look to find me after the game. I think we... Uh, covered that in pretty decent detail i'd be stunned if he's not at least on the 18-man roster and um i think we're all mostly in consensus that he's going to start but there's no way he won't at least be an option there and then um justin viver at justin vivs says more an observ more of an observation than a question but here's the weather we'll be dealing with how will this affect the players and you know we mentioned that too that it's it's going to be like you know, mid to low 40s, uh, possibly a little bit colder than that, and rain seems to be a possibility. And um, I think we covered that in the in the preview of the match. One last question from Pedro. Hey, I'm, I'm just for, for the record, I'm more worried about me than I am the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough staying warm in the fans. I mean, just more beer. I think that's gonna be the recipe, Kevin. There we go. That's not a bad answer. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you this: the rain, too. Like I, I was out east for a few years. Those temperatures aren't bad. It's the rain with those temperatures and a bit of wind. Not fun stuff. So definitely bundle up and drink, and I think you'll be all right. Uh, last question comes from Pedro Gomez, and this one I think is is fair game. Rate OC fans and their stadium. Ooh. Okay. Um, I'll take the first swipe. Uh, their stadium, I'm going to give their stadium uh, an 8.5. Uh, I think it's comfortable. I think it's a great USL stadium. They have so much to do there. So many vendors. Uh, the seating's really good. The PA system's good. I think there could be a little bit better things done for the cameras for TV. Um, but from just a fan perspective being there, I really do like the stadium. Uh, when it comes to the fans, um, I've met a couple of them uh, as, as Aaron has. And, and I got to say, um, I'm not thrilled. Uh, the more I look at our interactions, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, smiling while throwing shade at us. And, uh, I don't appreciate that. I, like I said yesterday, I had some things said to me during the halftime that really just took me aback and I just didn't know how to react. Um, and, uh, when it comes to the fans outside of the podcast guys, uh, yeah, I, I will, I'm going to give them like a, a, a four. And the reason why is because, you can throw shade. You can do all that. We do it. That's just fine. But don't be stupid and immature about it. You know, I don't need to hear that you hope that somebody crapped on our bus and we have to smell it all the way home. Uh, I don't like the fact that they're trying know. to I throw. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it was. I just, I don't know. I, I don't go for that kind of humor. Um, I don't like the fact that they, you know, were coming out swinging on the field, very aggressive, had no problem making it clear that they wanted to uh, to get physical um, and, uh, when it comes to them supporting their team, I think the fans, uh, there were some that were sticking to it. I mean, and, and to them, there's a lot of kudos, but the rest of them just seemed to be there because there was, you know, nothing else better to do. Mediocre, uh, uninterested to a good degree. Yeah, I, I was there earlier in the season, um, so my experience might have been a little bit different than uh, yours, Kevin, being out there tonight. And you were there at both of those matches, so. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I think it's a really nice stadium. I would say probably like an eight for the stadium. Um, only thing that's a little suboptimal is it's kind of a weird location. It's not really close to a lot going on around town. It's kind of just suburbs. You're off the freeway and, you know, Maybe you can try to tailgate in the parking lot, but it's Orange County, so people kind of look up their noses at that. So there's not there's not like a great atmosphere in game, but um, the stadium itself looks really pretty, and and that's cool. Um, the fans, I think things are getting a little bit stronger down there than it was like back in March. They definitely have more people in that supporters group than you know earlier in the season, and it it looked like they pulled in a lot of neutrals and new fans as the season went on uh because it it really was like a full sellout um with a lot of orange county support there so that's i would say the fan base on the whole is you know maybe like you know it went from being one of the bottom tier ones to maybe middle of the pack for our conference so maybe like a, a five but um from the sounds of it and you know 
seeing the USL Reddit uh, quite salty. So that is uh, it's a little, little disappointing to see. Yeah, I, I've been to, I didn't, I wasn't at the match last night, but I've been to Orange County um, previously last, or this past season, and, and it's, the facilities are nice. I mean, it is a nice, nice feel there, like we talked about, you know, it's not the best location, the camera angles, you know, there's not, not much to talk about, it's, you know, they almost missed Chris Cortez's goal last night here on the broadcast due to the, the tight angle, Um but I mean, it's it's a nice facility, you know. It's definitely a step up from when they were playing at UC Irvine on their intramural fields as the OC Blues. So you got to give that to them. Um, the fan support, I mean, yeah, you have to give credit to them. They got out there, but their attitude was just, you know, poor. And um, you know, I I I think I have to go with the average age of their supporter, which looks to be about six. So I'm gonna give them a six for their fans. That's a, it's a little bit high on, at least to me, but, (laughs) uh, Aaron, did you get a chance to take that question on? Yeah. I mean, look, it's, um, uh, I'm, I'm the perpetual optimist, right. For the most part or, or the realist. And, and, uh, I apologize to, to some Phoenix rising fans for sort of, uh, um, bringing the hashtag Orange County Hate Week to uh, make it seem like I was either making excuses or just uh, explaining kind of things while everybody else was just trying to have fun. Uh, but, you know, they, ha- they have a little bit of a nascent soccer culture. Uh, they already in that area have a nascent soccer culture, and they have a lot of, a, a lot of competition um, on both the Division One, Division Two, UPSL, NPSL levels. Uh, they have an, uh, uh, a, I believe, a UPSL team with virtually the same name that plays at the same place. We have Orange County FC and Orange County SC that play both at Championship Stadium. So, you know, they, they got some things to shake out over there in terms of their supporter culture. Uh, I would say that, that they're at a five because they got a lot of room to grow and I think that they have an opportunity to do so and an opportunity to make this rivalry really really fantastic the one thing that you can't have on our side and their side because I know we have some guys that that like to talk and 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 like to um sort of you know needle or or rub the wrong way or whatever and get enjoyment out of that you know, we can't take the bait. They can't take the bait. This is going to be a long, long-term relationship. Well, maybe not that long-term of a relationship. Let's let's hope it's only another two years. But it has the potential to be a long-term relationship. And we don't we don't need this to be like a Chargers Raiders issue where you know every time the Raiders come down to would come down to San Diego back in the old days, it would just end up being a brawl between half of the stadium. We don't want that. We want good, strong soccer culture with plenty of good uh, trash talking. But when the when when it's all said and done, just like we did, just like our Red Fury supporters did after the game with Reno, Reno brought some supporters down uh, after the end of the game. We're all standing in the uh, uh, in the parking lot, having a good time, having a good conversation with DJ Captain Chaos, uh, uh, one of their major supporters. We want this to be fun, and ultimately, soccer is serious, but it it's entertainment, and it's supposed to be fun. So we got to not not bite into all of the uh, 
uh, and making the hate a permanent thing uh, and just leave the hate to one week a year anyway when, when we're playing in the playoffs. So that's that. It, that's a long way for me to say. I, I give him a five. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for putting in excellent questions. Um, do you think it's time for closing thoughts? Because we've covered a lot of ground in this episode. Yeah, let's let's sound. That definitely sounds good. Uh, uh, Kyle, why don't you go ahead and start? And we'll we'll go to Kyle, Dom, uh, and Kevin. He'll talk about the fan show, and I'll uh, close this out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 crazy that we're finally here. It's been, you know, it's been a great season. It's it seems like it's really flown by. And to to be able to go out as Western Conference champions, I think we can all agree that it was deserved by Phoenix. Throughout the seasons, they definitely had their ups and downs, but I mean, they ended the season on such a high and it's it's continued to keep going and I think that Thursday night it could really reach its peak. I think they have a great chance going into this match. Both of these teams, you know, they're they're just quality opposition. Louisville's been very consistent throughout their time in the USL as a top-tier team. And I think for Phoenix, that's who you want to go up against in this type of match. You want to go up against a great opponent. And I'm just so excited to see it and to see the effort from this team. You know, we talked about it. Yeah, five weeks ago, we were worried about where playoffs were going to take us and what was going to happen. But uh, this team has turned it around and is in their best form right now. And it's it's just so exciting. It's it's just crazy to me right now. I just a few hours ago purchased my tickets to Louisville, so I'll be there as well. Um, so excited. Just cannot wait. These next few days are going to be uh, they're going to be going by very slow, but I'm sure once Thursday gets here, I'm not going to want it to end. Oh, man. It's just crazy that this is going to end in four days, this season at least. I mean, bigger and better things surely to come. Um, but all all season long, I've been talking about not taking advantage of these moments, soaking in everything, and this is why. I mean, we get to uh, we get to celebrate a Western Conference championship. We get to celebrate on the other team's field. Uh, now we have, you know, Drogba's last match for sure this time. Uh, USL Cup final. We get to watch our team on ESPN2. Everyone in this country gets to see Drogba play on network TV. I mean, that's that's incredible spotlight uh, for our squad, for our ownership group, everything that's happened out in Phoenix. Um, really excited to say that I just got confirmation with Mike Watts, who will be doing the broadcast, uh, that he will chat with me tomorrow, and we'll get that up in the midweek before that match. So looking forward to that. Um, I believe um, I believe uh, Mike Murray or Matt Murray, excuse me, uh, is Mark. <laughs> M names, all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mark Murray. So I and I knew his Twitter handle for some reason. Um, Mark Murray is going to be uh, chatting with someone from Louisville um, about a match preview. So we'll we'll try to get both of those up in the midweek before the USL Cup on Thursday. So, you know, stay tuned for awesome coverage. I'm sure we'll have a pre-match article also from Mark Murray uh, on Firebird Soccer. So uh, great things coming, but really just how awesome is this? We are in this cup final. We got to already do a trophy lift. 
Um, it, it just it defies words. I mean, we we thought that a successful season would be just making conference semifinals or conference finals. We've already exceeded that. Now we have a chance to become legends and send Drogba off in the best way possible. And like, if you aren't absolutely amped up on Thursday night, I mean, what is what is going on? Get to the stadium on Thursday too, because nothing official yet, but it sounds like there's going to be a watch party at the soccer complex, which, I mean, that sounds like an insane time. I'm sure there's going to be some beer specials, so keep your eyes and ears open for that. And it's crazy. Will it be dollar beer night and the beer night magic continues? (laughs) I mean, it has to be. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) absolutely. Make it happen. Yeah, Sam Dorr. All right, so Kevin, uh, if our fans, uh, the fans of the Rising Is One podcast, don't know where to find the PRFC fan show, then I'd wonder um, if they're actually uh, Rising fans. But, you know, just in case they don't know what YouTube is, tell us a little bit about how to find you and what some of your final thoughts are heading into this uh, championship week. Great. Um, So you can find PRFC fan show on YouTube and on Twitter, and it's Pretty straightforward. PRFC for Phoenix Rising Football Club fan show. Um, would love to uh, see people uh, like and subscribe to the uh, YouTube channel and uh, subscribe to us on Twitter. Um, my final thoughts for this week. Um, number one thought is recovery. Um, we've got to be smart about recovery. <clears throat> we've got to be smart about um, how much practice we put in. Uh, there's going to be a balance there, and I'm, I'm sure that's first and foremost consideration sorry i think we lost you for a few seconds there never really seen phoenix rising so determined as they were in that game last night there was a focus that was just taken to an entirely new level i think primarily driven by dda drugba uh, and rightly so and so i'm very bullish on this game it is not a given louisville is a team to be uh respected uh but i think that we've got a very good chance at bringing home the trophy well i am uh, very very pleased to say that um i'm going to be able to see this game in person um, you know, it's going to be about a 36-hour trip with a ton of travel time, but uh, it's going to be worth every second to actually be there in person. Uh, I'm going to do my best to uh, <clears throat> to share some of the experience with you guys uh, via Instagram. So please make sure to follow me on Twitter at, at @fitbafoto f i t b a w f o t o. Also on Instagram at, at F-I-T-B-A-W-F-O-T-O uh, and I'll give you some videos of my entire thing so I got my, my flight out of here is 12.30 on Thursday tw- that's 12.30 a.m. on Thursday morning so I got a bit of a red <laughs> eye heading into Chicago I'm on a plane that I think the wings flap um, to get to uh, to get to Louisville it seats about I think uh, 10 and a half people um, so it's going to be a really interesting trip for me to get into this small place uh, and find my way around. But all I'm going to be there to do is cover for you guys as part of the Rising as One podcast and Firebird Soccer. So hey. super, super honored to be able to do that for everybody. 
just uh, sorry to try to overspeak it there real quick, Aaron, but um, uh, an article was just recently posted up on USL.com and uh, USLsoccer.com, and this really does make me just I want every player on on Phoenix Rising to read this. They're saying that they're giving Louisville a 70% chance to win this game. You know what I say? I'm raising my middle finger to those guys. You know what? I I have many many things to say. I'm going to shut up cuz it's the end of the show, but you know what? That that uh that article can stuff it. Wrong. Yeah, so I see that that's an article according to 538.com uh is in terms of their overnight uh their overnight odds. Uh, that Louisville has 70% chance to win win the championship. And look, Louisville is a defending champion, so they've been here before. But what they don't have is they don't have Didier Drogba, uh, who I believe has scored, well, he has scored a goal in every single playoff game so far this year. And I believe that he's got some sort of record that he's scored in every single championship that he's played in as well. So uh, we got a lot of good things to look forward to here in the next few days. And We've really set a hell of a bar uh, in terms of 2018 uh, into the 2019 season. Uh, I'm going to be real sad when it's all over here uh, in terms of this season, and we'll get into some of that in the next few weeks. But as for now, it's Championship Week on the Rising Edwards One podcast. For Kyle Mackey, Dominic Kearns, and Kevin Gates from the PRFC Fan Show, I'm Aaron Blau of Firebird Soccer. And we're the Rising is One podcast, and we are up rising. We'll see you guys next week. Go rising. Go rising. Go rising. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Roughneck Scarves is the official scarf supplier for MLS, USL, and US soccer. So be sure to go to roughneckscarves.com and get some of their products. We hope you enjoyed the show.